You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A look back at ransomware in 2022, lessons from Russia's war, crooks, hacktivists, and auxiliaries, cyber attacks as war crimes, the state of SSE adoption, RSA Conference 2023 opens applications for the Launchpad and the Innovation Sandbox, Joe Kerrigan looks at online scams targeting military members, our guest is Richard Corelli from Axio on the state of ransomware preparedness, and the most common known exploited vulnerabilities affecting the financial sector. From the Cyberwire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Happy Tuesday, everyone. It's good to have you here along with us. We are not yet too far into 2023 to take a retrospective look back at 2022. And ransomware was one of the defining cyber threats organizations faced last year. Delinea has published its 2022 State of Ransomware report, finding that there's been a sharp decrease in the volume of ransomware attacks, though the average ransom demand has gone up. Delinea found that only 25% of respondents said their organizations were hit by ransomware in 2022, down from 64% in 2021. The number of victims who paid the ransom also fell from 82% to 68%. The researchers aren't sure what led to this decline, but they note that it may be due to the reorganization among major ransomware crews, particularly Conti, that took place during 2022. It's not all good news, however. Despite the slowdown in attacks, the researchers found that the average ransom demand has gone up over the past year. The survey also highlights a discouraging trend. Organizations seem to be taking the ransomware threat less seriously than they did in 2021. The researchers found that most organizations, a whopping 76%, increase their security budgets only after they've suffered a ransomware attack. Sure, the burned hand teaches best, but better not to get burned in the first place. Turning to the effects of Russia's hybrid war, EU Reporter notes that the annual report from the European Union's cybersecurity agency, ENISA, describes ways in which Russia's war has driven an increase in cyber attacks. As we've had many occasions to observe, the consequences of those attacks have fallen short of pre-war expectations— Still, they've shown a kind of convergence, 
with criminals becoming hacktivists and hacktivists in turn becoming auxiliaries of the security and intelligence services, deploying ransomware, website defacements, and distributed denial-of-service attacks against targets of opportunity in countries deemed hostile to Russia's war. Operational domain or not, it certainly seems possible that actions in cyberspace can constitute violations of the laws of armed conflict. Victor Zora, Chief Digital Transformation Officer at the State Service of Special Communication and Information Protection of Ukraine, told Politico that Ukraine was gathering information on the ways in which Russian cyber attacks have constituted war crimes. Some of the Russian cyber intelligence work has allegedly been used to support filtration, that is, the identification of civilians regarded as posing a threat to Russian occupation. Zora said, Russian troops often use filtration procedures on occupied territories to identify people who support Ukraine, who were engaged in public service or military service. So they capture them, then torture and kill. So, in this case, cyber ops would be a crime in furtherance of another more lethal crime. Some cyber activities, including even the spread of disinformation, may themselves qualify as war crimes. Disinformation seems a stretch, except perhaps insofar as it might be held to constitute incitement or serve as an element of conspiracy. But disabling cyber attacks against civilian critical infrastructure might be an easier case. For any of these actions to amount to war crimes, and there's a strong case that they may, they would have to amount to violations of the laws of armed conflict. The core principles on which that law are based include discrimination, sometimes distinction, proportionality, minimization of suffering, and military necessity. The Russian cyber operations Ukraine has under investigation could constitute violations of any or all of these principles. Ukrainian authorities are referring the digital evidence they've collected to the International Criminal Court with a view to eventual prosecution of the Russian personnel and officials responsible. Axis Security has published its 2023 Security Service Edge Adoption Report this morning. They found that 65% of organizations plan to implement an SSE platform within the next two years, and 43% seek to implement one before the end of 2023. Additionally, 67% of respondents plan to start their SASE strategy with a SSE platform rather than wide area network edge services. The researchers also found that the top two legacy solutions that enterprise security teams will look to replace with SSE will be VPN concentrators, SSL inspection services, and DDoS, with data loss prevention being a very close fourth place. The RSA conference will be here before you know it, in San Francisco between the 24th and 27th of April, and it returns with two of its well-known showcases for young, innovative companies. The Launchpad will highlight three potential breakthrough inventions, and the Innovation Sandbox will give 10 startups a chance to pitch themselves. These are always interesting, and the innovators that are on display usually go on to make a mark for good on the cybersecurity sector, both programs opened for applications today, and the conference will continue to accept them through February 10th. If you think you've got a genuinely disruptive innovation to share, by all means apply. You'll find full instructions online at rsaconference.com.
And finally, Looking Glass Cyber released a blog today explaining the most prevalent known exploited vulnerabilities present in the U.S. financial sector in November of last year. Over half of the vulnerabilities detected by Looking Glass in November 2022 were found affecting insurance, with approximately a quarter composed of credit intermediaries and a third resulting from third-party service providers. The most commonly observed known exploited vulnerabilities in the U.S. financial services sector was CVE 2015-1635. The seven-year-old remote code execution vulnerability is said to impact Windows and is still common in critical infrastructure today. If it's known, it can be mitigated, so by all means, get patching. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan looks at online scams targeting military members. Our guest is Richard Corelli from Axio on the state of ransomware preparedness. Stick around. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Rich Corelli is Senior Cybersecurity Advisor at Axio, where he and his colleagues recently released their 2022 State of Ransomware Preparedness Report. I spoke with Richard Corelli about some of the highlights from the report. A lot of times, 
these reports are produced from survey data. But this is data that's coming from organizations that have an intent to improve. So I think that makes the data even more important because, you know, the, the intent is to, you know, actually use the results of the data to have something actionable at the end. Um, what we found in this year's study was very similar to the study we did in 2021. And that was seven key issues uh, focused around things like privilege access management, uh, the lack of basic cyber hygiene, exposure to supply chain and third-party risk, uh, monitoring and defending networks, ransomware incident management, and vulnerability management. Uh, interestingly, in the 2022 report, we also, in terms of training and awareness, what, what we were saying was uh, not as high a degree of organizations doing phishing tests on their uh, employees. So to what degree are you finding that organizations are staying on top of this, or is there still a lot of catching up to be done? Well, there was some improvement generally from 2021. For example, we saw better email filtering and phishing reporting processes in place, um, better controls over domain controllers and domain administrator privileges, and we're seeing higher rates of data backup and offline storage and encryption which, you know, is a primary defense to ransomware. So some of those basic practices do seem to show some improvement from 2021 to 2022. Are we seeing organizations being nimble in their response to some of the pivots we've seen from the ransomware actors? You know, we've seen a shift away from encryption to, uh, uh, you know, data extortion from some of these players. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we really can look to uh, what kinds of ransomware vectors organizations are trying to protect against generally in, in this data. But the thing that I think we, we were really seeing is that, and this was um, kind of a discouraging outcome of the 2021 report, is that it still comes down to a lot of fundamental basic practices not being in place. So if you look at the ransomware um, preparedness assessment, it's really made up of 65 foundational practices that would contribute to building a strong ransomware-ready environment. And if you're seeing deficiencies in these basic practices, it pretty much says that, you know, regardless of the intent of the ransomware actor, uh, the organization is likely going to suffer some impact uh, from a ransomware intrusion. Um, so it's it's sort of coming back down to to the basics again, and uh, it was a little surprising that there wasn't a lot of movement in these sixty five practices from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, especially in light of as you said, uh, many of these hope high profile uh, ransomware attacks. Do you have any insights on onto why folks are are still lagging here? Is this a matter of resources? So we don't have exact. Um, data on why we're still seeing this problem, but it's pretty easy to guess that uh, it's likely resource shortages. Um, it's likely built around um, the fact that some of the tool sets, for example, in privileged access management, they are big investments. Um, they take a significant time to implement and there's a high learning curve. So it's, it's some of these basic things are just have high hurdles. Um, to overcome. And one of the things I think that is really starting to show some concern, at least, you know, in our circle, 
is that as we go into 2023 and there's this potential for an economic downturn, uh, if in fact resource shortages and budget shortages and, and those sort of constraints are already showing um, in the data that we're seeing, how will it over, how will it affect already deficient control environments? Um, it's going to further strain resources and budgets. And you know, if you're lacking in fundamentals, you may not have the resources to get those to a place where you know they're they're um, purposeful and actionable. Let alone to prepare for new attack vectors that may come down the pike. Um, and I think that's that is prevalent. I think a prevalent problem, in fact, in two areas, the privileged access management and supply chain third-party risk. Yeah, that's interesting. So based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations? What, what, what are the actionable uh, items here on the checklist? We really recommend that organizations go back to the basics when it comes to securing and controlling privileged credentials. And, and again, in if there is an economic downturn, you're going to want to do more with less. So you may cut some of the corners around, you know, uh, having one staff person do many things in the organization, which means controlling and securing these credentials might come secondary to efficiency. So that's one of the areas that, you know, we really think organizations should put some emphasis on. And by the way, that was um, our talk this year in 2021 as well. I think the second one really is the supply chain issue, um, reducing exposure to supply chain risk, which is going to be tricky because if you think about an economic downturn and having less staffing and less labor costs, you're more likely to start outsourcing more things, which could make the problem worse. And, you know, the other problem we're, we're seeing and, and I think is going to become more of an issue going forward is the organizational perimeter is much harder to define and control now um, because there is so much reliance on cloud services and, and external uh, partners to the organization. And when you start to see that happening, this is why you're seeing more calls for zero trust models. But zero trust models are a significant undertaking and, and surely will suffer um, some setbacks in an economic downturn. You know, for example, we only saw 42% of organizations even monitoring third-party access. Now, that was an increase from 2021 where we saw about 34%, but it's still not at levels where um, it's going to be sufficient. That's Rich Corelli from Axio. You can find a link to the report Richard Corelli discussed in today's selected reading section of the show notes. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. More importantly than either of those professional positions, Joe is my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. We were uh, talking about this over on Hacking Humans. This yes. is a scam targeting uh, folks who are new to our U.S. military. Right. What's going on here? So this is coming from military.com. It's a story by Drew Lawrence. Yeah. And... Imagine, Dave, that you're a new recruit in the army. Okay. So you you get into the into the army and you you show up at basic training, and 
you're maybe two or three weeks into it and you get a phone call. Mm. And during the course of that phone call, someone says, I'm with the, the, the DFAS or the Defense Finance Accounting Services. And I'm an NCO, by the way. I'm a non-commissioned officer with the uh, Defense Finance Accounting Agency. Okay. Service. Uh, and there was a problem with your last military pay. There's a problem with, or there's a problem with your military pay. And I want to get you the money that you're entitled to. Uh, so I need you to send me some money via Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, or Apple Pay. Hmm. And then we'll get this resolved and worked out. Now, hold on a minute, cowboy. Hey, I'm... <laughs> did you hear what I said? I'm an NCO. You're a recruit. Oh. See, that's the first thing that happens is they I get threatened see. with this kind of activity. Huh. You know, the guy goes uh, full Arlie Ermy on them on the phone, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Um, so, so taking advantage of the fact that this is a new soldier, new soldier, not really familiar with with how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we see this actually with with new hires as well. We've seen this kind of scam before, where somebody gets a new job on LinkedIn and immediately they get uh, a call or something impersonating the uh, the company. They start getting scammed there as well. Mm. Or if you're trying to uh, to do open source intelligence gathering on a company and you're trying to penetrate a company, you can say, uh, or actually not trying to do a phishing attack on a company, you can call into the company, talk to the person you just got hired, and say, "Hey, I see you just got hired recently. I'm from IT. I'm here to I'm here to help." Right? Mm. These kind of attacks we've seen many times before. This is the same kind of attack, only now it's happening to army recruits. Hmm. And they've put out a, uh, the Army has put out warnings from Fort Benning, Wachuca, and West Point. Hmm. So people at West Point are getting hit with this as well. And that's where the cadets for uh, the officer cadets go. Yeah, yeah. So really, uh, basically a social engineering scam here. It is. And then once you, but but unique in that they're using the uh, the chain of command, the the uh, the authority the authority of, of a non-commissioned officer mm-hmm. uh, presumably over uh over the enlisted people i don't know that a, a, i don't know what the relationship is between a recruit at a naval academy or not naval or at the army academy yeah uh, i say naval academy because i live in maryland dave <laughs> right. uh, that's the word academy is usually preceded by naval in, in, <laughs> around true. here yeah. uh, but at west point is the army academy the army academy i I'm not sure, but I think they might actually outrank an NCO, that they might actually already be officers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's that's correct. So it's less likely to work. And in fact, the story says nobody at, at, at West Point has has been victimized by the scam. But outside of West Point, 74 sco- soldiers have lost $143,000. Wow. Yep. Wow. It's a lot of money. So what are the red flags here in, in terms of folks protecting themselves against this? I mean, the, the I guess the request for money is the big one? Yeah. Anytime you get an unexpected request for money like this, the, the big problem here is that these guys are not really familiar with it. And once they start asking questions to the person on the phone, the person tries to intimidate them and is pretty successful at it. I don't know... If if I would be willing, I don't know this, you know, every now and then I say, here's a scam that will work on me. I think this one might have worked on me in my youth mm-hmm. uh, because I don't know that I'd be willing to go to the uh, to my drill instructor or drill sergeant and say, uh, I'm getting this request from this guy. Is this is this legit? But that's what they should do. They should be doing that immediately. Uh, this guy wants me to send him money saying he's from the uh, from the accounting service. Uh, is Is this right? But what should really be happening here is that the drill, and it is happening actually, the drill instructors should be informing all the recruits that this is a scam that's going around. They should be aware of it. Yeah. And if they get these kind of phone calls, just hang up. 
What's interesting is how they're finding recruits in the army. I'd like to know how they're getting that information mm-hmm. uh, because this seems to me like there's a, a a leak somewhere. Some kind of information that shouldn't be in the hands of these scammers is in the hands of these scammers. Right. And I don't know where that's coming from. Right. Somehow they're aggregating who who are the new recruits and right. how do we call them? It's entirely possible they're getting it from open source sources. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sure. So, and, and if that's the case, there's nothing you can do about it except educate the recruits. But it's also entirely possible that they're getting it from some inside source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, again, this article is from uh, military.com. It's titled Army Warns of Scam Targeting New Soldiers. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.